The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The text for today's sermon comes from Psalm 27. If you turn with me. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I want to begin this morning with a question. In order to answer it, you're going to need to have a favorite story in mind. So... Let your thoughts move in that direction. Now let me ask the question. If you could spend time, three or four hours, in your favorite story with one of your favorite characters, what would you choose? Would you have tea with Mr. Tumnus? Would you enjoy a feast with Gandalf at Bilbo's unhappy party? He doesn't want all these people showing up and you could be one of them. Would you like to look at Pemberley Grounds with Elizabeth Bennett? Would you want to play sneakery with Tink as he seeks to move through the green hollows? What would you choose? Psalm 27 gives us an opportunity to do that. Last week, Pastor Andy Nacelli walked us from cover to cover in our, to begin our series on light in Advent and the nearness of God. He took us from let there be light to the eternal light, Jesus Christ, no more sun. He walked us through the whole story. Today, we get to enter into the story. We get to spend time with a main character right in the middle, David, King David, And there's a difference between seeing the whole story and experiencing a scene. 
There's depth. There's things that we can observe that we can't see in the whole thing. So we're going to enter into the story and try to understand if God is light and his nearness is our good, what does that mean for me as I face dark circumstances? How does the Lord who is light become my light? And if you look at the very first words of Psalm 27, you see that David is taking us there. The Lord is my light. Let me just quickly give you an outline, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to seek God to do this psalm among us. This is a very practical, experiential, getting the theme of light onto the ground in our lives, teaching from God's word. So we're going to look at it in four parts because that's how David has laid it out. He starts in verses 1 through 3 with a declaration, almost like he becomes the marketing agency for God, saying, the Lord is my light. Come join me. That's in verses 1 through 3. In 4 through 6, he takes us into the very practical process of seeking God as our light. Then he spends the majority of his content, verses 7 through 12, in a larger section. How do I seek God who is my light when the darkness is very present? When the fog has moved in, when the shadows will not lift, how do I pursue the Lord as my light then? And finally, as if this isn't enough, he leaves us with words to bring about humility in our hearts. Final words that bring humility as we humble ourselves under the Lord who is our light. I don't know about you at Christmas, there's so much light. Do you need to know how the Lord can be your light? Please pray with me. Father, this is an amazing piece of scripture. Thank you that you have written a story on the pages of history that is still unfolding. You've allowed us to be a part of your story. Thank you that we get to enter in and interact. See David as he prays. See him as enemies advance against him. Seek you for the same confidence, the same Abilities, the same light that he sees. Would you please enlighten our eyes by your word? Meet us in this passage and may it be good, so good for us and may your light shine through us and spread out through us because you are our light. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please keep your Bibles open. I hope that I keep referring to them throughout the sermon. It will help you know where we are to keep looking there. We're going to begin in verse 1 in this first section, David's declaration, the Lord is my light, in 1 through 3. And we need to understand this rightly. We're going to start small. Who does he call the Lord? We're going to expand a little bit and, and notice that he has three titles, including the Lord is my light, that he uses for the Lord and then very practical, what does that mean in David's life as he draws us in? First, the Lord. You need to know, if you don't already, that capital L-O-R-D is God's covenant name. 
It was revealed to Moses oh, in the story in a time of light at the burning bush. And you need to know that Moses was just a shepherd wandering along and God showed up in his story, drew his attention to him and revealed to him who he was, the Lord. That's how it works. This, is, this whole text is not some ladder that we lean and try to climb to God. This is commands and instruction about the privilege of somebody who's already in relationship with the Lord. Come, benefit from this. Lean into this. Let the Lord be your light. This is not a to-do list. This is about relationship. How do we benefit from the Lord who is our light? From our covenant God. You may have walked in here and he's not your God. You can walk out of here with him as your God. Anytime in this message, you can just say, Lord, I need you to be my light. I need to be in relationship with you. That will become more clear as we go. The Lord. Notice he says three things. Lord is my light. That has to do with both his guidance and his direction and his beauty. That he declares and shows and reveals his attributes and his character and, and what he does so that our hearts respond. Our eyes are enlightened. Our faith is built. The Lord is my light. And he says, the Lord is my salvation. That means our God is not distant. He is active. He is involved in our world by his sovereignty. He orchestrates things. He does things. He rescues. He saves. The Lord is my salvation, David says. And third, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Now this is poetry. It could be those first two things are also true in here, or those are true. And what is more, God is the stronghold of my life. He is my refuge. He is the one that I can run to. I have a hiding place, and it is God. David's declaration, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. But this is very practical for David. Notice he says some radical things because of who he knows God to be. He begins with these two repeated questions, whom shall I fear? So just work with me for a second. Think back through your week. Use your fingers if you need to, toes if it's necessary. Who are the people that you've been afraid of this week? I could probably use several fingers. David is saying, because of who God is, because he is my light, I can't name a one. All the scary people are not scary. And then he gets really practical in two and three. When evildoers assail me to eat at my flesh, my adversaries and foes. These are some pretty freaky enemies. He talks about them as if they're predators, animals coming to devour him. What does he say? It is they who stumble and fall. He's talking about the Lord who is his salvation, who sovereignly works. They come at me and they're like tripping all over themselves. And he goes on and says, though an army encamp against me. We talked about stories earlier. We're behind Helm's Deep. Here comes the hordes of Mordor. And what does he say? My heart shall not fear. They're just camping there. Oh, wait. 
Not anymore. The war arrives against me. They move towards me in battle, yet I will be confident. Now before we go further, let me just answer the skeptic's question. Well, this is in the Bible. This is a pretty religious guy. Like, is this really true? Or is it just poetry? Is he just like crafting some nice story? The beauty of this is we know the character. There is a lot of material in God's historical account, especially in 1 Samuel about David, 2 Samuel as well. Let me just remind you of one thing. Goliath, probably fairly known whether you're in a church circle or not, Goliath was a freaky guy. Just remember and just think about David's confidence. He just shows up after speech after speech after speech that this big scary guy Goliath is calling out to trained soldiers and their king mocking God and their hearts are melting. He just shows up on the scene and he's like, let me at him. His courage is breathtaking. So we can learn something from this guy. And if, you, if you're not sure if God shows up in salvation and, and to do these kind of things in his sovereignty, let me just read for you from 1 Samuel 17, 49. As David runs towards this scary guy, doesn't even have armor because he's too small to even fit in the king's armor. David put his hand into his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. Now you need to know this is God sovereignly saving, using David as his tool. Listen to this epic fail. He fell on his face to the ground. You talk about stumbling and falling. That's what happened. Has David caught your attention? Are you like, hmm, maybe this guy's got something that I need to learn. David, how do you do that? How are you confident when everyone around you is freaking out? Let's look at 4 through 6. Daily seeking the Lord who is my light. David lets us into his heart. We don't just see the story from a distance. We enter in. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. This is a very, very important verse. Spend a little time here. Notice how it starts. One thing. This is David's singular pursuit. That I have asked of the Lord and that I seek after. So we should be asking ourselves, is this something that I seek after? Is this something that I'm regularly asking God for? What is it, David? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now you need to remember back to the story that Andy Nacelli laid out for us. In this season of God's history, God's people sought him in a tent later in a temple, in a physical place. Now, David doesn't want to be a Levite. He's not like upset that he was from the wrong tribe and he wants to kind of like get an apartment in the temple. That's not what he's after. He wants to get near to the nearness of God. 
My desire is that I would have that ability. This is the framework that I know how to describe it, but I just want to be close to God. I want to be close to his closeness. I want to seek him. I want to spend time with him. Let that be a mirror to your heart. To what extent do you desire? To what extent do I desire to be close to the Lord? To be near his nearness? What do I want most? Is that what I want most? That's what David wants most. Well, what do I do when I'm near the Lord? When I'm seeking his presence? When I'm asking for him to reveal himself to me? This final phrase is very helpful. What am I going to do there? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, I'll just be really honest with you. This first one has been a hard one for me in my spiritual life. Many years ago, I sang a song, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. And in my mind, I was going, Huh? I know how to gaze at the beauty of my wife. Just in the kitchen, she walks by me, I see a curl, she smiles or laughs, and my heart lights up. I know how to gaze upon the beauty of somebody that I can physically gaze upon. But God is spirit. How do I do that? What he's talking about here is seeing with heart eyes in God's word and in our world the attributes and the deeds of our great God and responding like we would when we see something beautiful. Is that what you do when you meet with the Lord? Or are you checking off a box? Or are you trying to get chapters today? Okay, let's go. Go, 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 go. Or are you seeking to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Are you asking him for that? God, help me see your greatness and respond rightly. Fearlessness begins with seeing the face of God. Seeing it regularly, seeking it. That's what David did. And he inquires in his temple. He asks God for things. He seeks direction. He lays out his circumstances before him and saying, how do I navigate this? We'll see more of that in just a moment. Bethlehem, this must be our singular task. We must seek to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Is he beautiful to you? If he's not, seek mercy. Do you desire that? If you don't, seek mercy. God, help me. Help me want to do this. Help me to see this. This is the heart of somebody who experiences God as their light. This is how the great God of light pierces our darkness. Seek the Lord and his beauty, which is another reference to the light of the Lord. Well, this is zooming out into that process. And he says, as he does that, he will deliver me. He will hide me in his shelter. 
He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon a rock, meaning he will make me untouchable. In life, when he chooses to do so, he will show up and do these things. But what happens when we do? Most of us start patting ourselves on the back. Whoo, made it through that one. Didn't freak out too much. That's not what David does. He goes back to the same place he started. When his head is lifted up above his enemies, look at the second phrase in verse 6. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He returns to worship. He's seeking to worship in the beginning. He returns to worship in the end. One more thing that we need to know and reflect upon, because this is every day of his life. That means in the good and in the bad, this is what he's seeking to do. Oftentimes we're inquiring like crazy in the darkness when the dark circumstances come upon us and we're kind of chilling in the light, basking in it, enjoying the light circumstances. This is David's continual pursuit. May God make this our continual pursuit. That gets really specific in this next larger section. What do I do when the darkness is upon me? How do I seek the Lord who is my light when the shadows deepen? 7 through 12 is well worth your study. This is just going to be the appetizer. Go dig into this. Look at it. See more that's in here. But I just want to highlight a few things. Look at verses 7 through 12 with me. We'll begin in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Let me just ask you, Do you ever pray out loud to the Lord? Would your prayers ever be described as crying out to the Lord? Do you give vent to your emotions, to your passions for what you need from the Lord? Lord, heal! Lord, come! Now you're like, well, John shouts a lot, so I don't know if I'm like him, but but do you express vocally what you need from the Lord. You seek him with the passion of your whole being and your voice. David cries aloud. And he's saying here because at this point, it doesn't seem like God has heard him. He knows he's a God who hears, but he's saying, listen, act, meet me, help me. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Next, in verse 8, he uses God's word. Do you use God's word as you pray? Well, God, you say this. You say that you want this. And I'm doing this, and I need you to do your part, God. I need you. You say, seek me. I'm seeking you. Show me your face. You don't say one thing and then work another way. Work in line with what you say. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Another key aspect that he uses of God's word is God's word which describes God's heart. I really think behind this, David perhaps has the ironic blessing of Numbers Six in his mind. Let me just read a little bit of it and then we'll look at it and see it in this text. This is what the Lord commanded Aaron to speak over his people to bless them. 
to put his name upon them that he might bless them. Listen to these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine or be bright upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, that's the same word as face, upon you and give you peace. Look at this text. Be gracious to me is almost taken right from that blessing. God, I know you want to bless me. This is the blessing that's been put upon me. Be gracious to me. Lord, you have, you've said bless the people that their face would shine upon them. And I'm asking you to do that. Shine your face upon me. Do not hide your face from me. I'm seeking your face. Show me your face. Show me your light. Give me peace. I'm in the darkness. Passionately calling out to God based on his word, based on his heart. Verse 10 continues about his heart. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord has taken me in. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know when this was written. We don't know if, if very real in his circumstances his father has forsaken him and his mother have forsaken him. Or if this is just like, God, the closest relationships in my life may forsake me, but God, you are way beyond that. You are much closer. You are the God of steadfast love and mercy. You don't forsake. You will not forsake. So please don't forsake me. Finally, in 11 and 12, he gives us some specific things that we can ask God for as we see the darkness around us and as we're seeking light. He says, teach me your ways, Lord. Open up your word to me so that I know how to navigate these dark circumstances. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. David realizes that he is perhaps also a representative of God as enemies come against him. And he's like, I don't want to morally slip up. I want to know the path that you have for me. There's some confusion here. I need your help. This is how he's inquiring in his temple. As I get near, I'm asking the Lord, bless me with instruction from your word to navigate this whole enemy attacking kind of thing. Now, your darkness might not be enemies. You might need instruction from the Lord on how do I deal with this hard relational situation? How do I deal with this darkness of this suffering that will not lift? How do I navigate that? How do I move into this or that? How do I deal with these deep, dark emotions that just won't lift? What does your word have to say for me in these circumstances? Help me. And finally, he gets very specific. Very specific with the Lord. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. He says, God, there are people who desire something against what you desire. They're against me. False witnesses have arisen against me. They are lying. They're lying about me. This has major consequences. This is what's going on. I need you to intervene. They are breathing out violence. They want to kill me or perhaps hurt others. God, shine your light in this particular darkness. Some of us might just be a little bit too Minnesota nicey that we don't want to get particular with God. 
We serve the Lord who knows all things. We can get particular with Him. This psalm ends with perhaps the most humbling words in verse 13 and then some further humbling words in 14. But 13 is absolutely stunning. So it's one thing to know I am confident. These hard things are coming in. I'm kind of looking steel, calm, cool, and collected. It's a whole other thing to know from the heart what does that confidence look like? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in verse 13, we see David's heart. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Those are stunning words. If they don't just jump off the page yet and stun you, let me just try to explain them a little bit more. I believe... This has not happened. The goodness of the Lord is not being revealed yet in his situation. But he says, I believe it will. In my heart, I'm confident that there will be light in this situation. There will be goodness from the Lord in this situation. I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. As you consider the situations that you're facing, how does your confidence compare to this? Stunning. This has been a verse that I've prayed this week for people that I know that are in the darkness. God, help them believe that they shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is what we need to aim for. This is what we need to pray for. This is why we need to know the goodness of the Lord in his word and seek the light of his face that we might be able to ask him for grace to respond this way. And we know, we know that the Lord may not answer every desire that we have, but we know there is one day. We heard the end of the story last week. There will be a day when the new heavens and the new earth will be our dwelling place. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That will be the land of the living. And we are praying in many different circumstances that his goodness will appear even today. And we will worship and have new ways to return and honor the Lord. Verse 14 is perhaps the, the final humbling word because hidden in it are commands. This is not just some wonderful opportunity. Um, here's a timeshare. You really want to buy it. Uh, timeshares aren't so great. But anyway, here's something that you want. No, these are commands. This is what God calls us to do. I'm reminded that I missed in verse Eight, you have said, seek my face. That is a plural command. God calls his people to seek his face. God calls his people to wait for the Lord, to wait in faith. He calls them, he's commanded them to be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Now, why is that significant? 
Because if we are called to seek his face and we look at our seeking and we find it lacking, we're in trouble. If we are called to wait with confidence and we look at our waiting and it looks more like waiting with freaking, we have lack. We need forgiveness. We need a perfect record to replace our failed attempts. We shouldn't be able to look at this psalm and walk away and be like, I hope they have something more challenging next week. No way. We should look at this and say, God, I fall short. I need your help. You know what we need? We need Christmas. We need a God to come and walk among us. We need a God to live out Psalm 27 perfectly. We need a God, as we were about to celebrate in the table, to be punished in our place. We need his perfect robe of righteousness drenched upon us so that as we muddle our way through the darkness, seeking to behold his beauty, we have a savior. We need a God who is our light. Just consider Christ in Psalm 27 because because of Christmas, God took on flesh and he perfectly obeyed Psalm 27. As you look across the story of Christ's time on earth, we know that he regularly went away to seek the face of his Father. Our God perfectly lived out verses 4 and 8. We get a very clear picture of his darkest hour. We see him crying out in the garden expressing his heart, seeking grace, seeking light, seeking for the cup to be removed. Our God perfectly lived out. Verses 7 through 12. On earth as the God-man. You know what's kind of cool? We know that his sacrifice ended in death. But did you know that even in the garden, the enemies that rose against him stumbled? Psalm 27 was fulfilled in John 18, 6. When his armies, his band with torches and clubs and swords came, they were seeking him and he said, I am, which is another title for, I am the Lord. It says they drew back and fell to the ground. That's our Savior. Marvel at his beauty. This Christ suffered. He did not come to condemn the world. Brothers and sisters, friends, we were condemned already. He came to save. He came to be the light. He came to have us humbly say, I need you. I cannot navigate this world without you. And when I do, I mess up a lot. Be my light. Be my salvation. Help me. Let me give you three particular applications for this passage and then we'll move to celebrate at the table. Some of you may find yourself walking in deep darkness. And what I mean by that is spiritual darkness. You came into this place and you're like, I don't have any connection to this God who you're saying is your light. 
Do you know what? Christmas is a beautiful time for that. Isaiah 2, I'm sorry, Isaiah 9 verse 2 speaks to those in that circumstance. It says, The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. What's the requirement for that light shining upon you? Being in darkness. Everyone who has been sought, everyone who the Lord is their light, has been in darkness and he has pierced it. If that is you today, cry out to the Lord. I'm in deep darkness. Be my light. Others of you may find yourself struggling to believe or to trust in the darkness that surrounds you. The Lord is your light, but you're battling to trust in a God in the midst of deep shadows. Today, your heart can cry out in verses 7 and on forward, God, help me. Reveal yourself to me. Show me your beauty. Enlarge my heart that I may run in the way of your word. Help me. Shine upon me. Hear me. Still others of you need fresh grace to marvel at the beauty of the Lord. Perhaps God's word is just stale to you or it just feels like it's rote. David encourages us to seek the Lord, to continually seek him and ask him to reveal himself to you. That's what you can do. Let me pray for us in these ways. Great God, I thank you that you are the one that pierces, that enlightens those who are in deep darkness. Would you cause those in just a moment as we celebrate at the table who have had you pierce their darkness to rejoice in that? And those that are not yet in relationship with you, would they run to Jesus Christ who is their light? God, I want to pray that you'd be particularly kind to those who are bruised reeds. You are their light, and yet the darkness is very present. They are fighting to believe. God, would you shine your face upon them and be gracious to them as they fight to trust you and to see your light in the darkness. As they wait, would you give them grace to wait with confidence? And Father, for those that circumstances for themselves are light, would you help them not to just chill, but would you give them the heart of David to seek you, to seek your beauty? Would you give more grace to us this season that our eyes might be enlightened and we might shine upon others, that they may overhear our exaltation that the Lord is my light. Look at how great my Savior is. This is what he showed me about himself today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church.
For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.